Let the children of God say amen. amen. Let the children of God say amen again. Amen. How blessed we are to be in God's house so we can rest in God's presence, hear from God's word, understand what God's will is for our lives, and be saved and prayerfully see God face to face where he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We are so blessed to be here in the house of the Lord. Understand, everybody did not walk into the house of the Lord. Some folk had the desire to be here but could not because death was knocking at their door. Some people wanted to be here but could not because prison bars served as their door. Some wanted to be here but they just could not make it to the service. Then there's some of us who came in walking physically but in actuality, we barely made it here crawling and bleeding. The weak has beaten and battered us. The job has bruised us. The children have bombarded us. And now we just barely have enough energy to come here and shout hallelujah. I may look fine, but I'm not fine. But I come here so that God can straighten all my crooked places. I've come here so we can dry all my tears. I may not cry outwardly, but I'm crying out inwardly, and that is why I am here. Not for form or fashion. But how many folk have come here this morning just to figure out what God's will is? His perfect will for your life. We thank the brethren who've led us in our devotional service. As always, we thank Clyde. See, Clyde thought I was late. See, I know if I don't come in, he can't stop singing. Say amen uh, when you can. I, I figured that out. And, and since Clyde tries to time clock me, I just, I just stay out there and watch and sing in the hallway because I know uh, he can't possibly stop until I get up here. So, uh, see, see, Clyde, if he had the opportunity, he would sing three songs and get down. And, and that's just not how we conduct business. Say amen when you can. You know. We, we got to sing the folk up before we preach to him, Clyde, but it's all right. We love Clyde, his energy. We love his giftedness, as well as all the brethren who've led us thus far. We want to celebrate Roshana and the fact that she was baptized on last Lord's Day. Uh, we want to be cognizant of Vacation Bible School, which begins tomorrow. I'm sure you've seen the wonderful decor outside. Uh, looks like a train depot out there. We want to recognize Tamika and Gloria and Monet and Deborah and Brendan and Kayla and all of those who helped out with the decorations. We do want you to uh, be patient with us today. We have a lot of things to take care of uh, after the announcement, so unless you got to get up, stay here with us. Amen when you can. Uh, we want to do a pep rally for the VBS that will last 10 minutes. Then we want to honor our graduates. We have five high school graduates and two uh, baccalaureate degrees that have been awarded. We want to stay here and recognize them and, and, and be there as a support system. So you, you don't really have nowhere to go. Say amen. And, and, and some of y'all ain't come back tonight anyway. So when you leave here, you go. So just stay around with us. Also, we have a group here from Akron, Ohio. Here's a Harmony and Sisters. They will also be doing a selection. So please give the time after the services today to participate in all of those festivities. And lastly, we want to remind you, next weekend, we begin the Faith, Friends, and Family Weekend. On um, Friday night, we'll have the movie night here at the church, uh, separate movies for adults and children. Next Saturday, I don't have to announce about the picnic. I'm sure you've already put that in your phone. Uh, next Saturday, we're having the picnic with the catfish and the, uh, hello, somebody, uh, and hamburgers and hot dogs and catfish. And I say catfish. Uh, all that's happening on next Saturday, and next Sunday will be a friends and family day. So bring your friends, bring your family for a special message concerning prayer on next Lord's Day. Meet me, if you will, in Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26. And we'll begin there in the 36th verse. Matthew chapter 26. Beginning at verse number 36, when you find yourself there, let us be standing for the holy, infallible, and inerrant word of God. Matthew chapter 26, beginning there at the 36th verse. When there, Matthew, the tax-collecting Jew, 
records these words. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to become sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going on a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he began to pray. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. For the sake of brevity, there are three prayers in the text. I just want to cover one. And I want to cover that one prayer from the topic, the summation of prayer. Subtopic, your wish is my command. The summation of prayer, your wish is my command. You may be seen in the presence of the Lord. Let us go to God in prayer. Devilly, kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have done and what you are doing right now in our very lives. Father, be with those under the sound of my voice, Father. Open their minds, their hearts, their spirits, their souls, and yes, even their ears to hear another word coming straight from you via your manservant. Father, be with your manservant. Bless his preparation. Bless his proclamation. Father, use me again as your instrument, Father, and play me masterfully, Father. I am not deserving. But with all that is within me, help me to stand upon your word, stand upon your truth, stand upon your will for our lives. Not concerning my own thoughts, my own ideologies or philosophies, Father, but let your word stand true. Let it convict everyone in here, starting from the pulpit. Father, let this word search us. Let this word save us. Father, this time we come to you as empty pitchers before a flowing fountain. Fill us, Jesus. Fill us even when we don't want any more. Father, touch us in all of our broken places. Heal us in all of our broken spaces. Father, bless the word. Father, bless your servant. Father, bless us all as your children. All these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The summation of prayer, meaning when it's all said and done, subtopic, your wish is my command. Hear Jesus is eventually to drink of the cup. And it's here that we see the cup on the clock. In a time when the flickering of torches could soon be seen over the horizon. And the shackles of arrest are soon to be fettered around the extremities of our Lord. Most of us would be in a psychological place as to where crying would be our best option. Some of us would be in a physiological place as to where panic attacks would occur. Some of us would be in an anatomical place as to where our blood pressure would elevate and bring upon stroke or cardiac arrest. But to Jesus... This situation did not necessitate crying. 
This situation did not necessitate panic or chronic illness. It merely necessitated prayer. I asked the question this morning, how many of us are suffering from man-made illnesses because we deal with man-made stress that precipitates from a man-made source in a man-made way? If only we as Christians were to just cast all our cares upon him, how would things change? if we would just learn when and how to pray. If you catch nothing else, make sure you catch this. And understand that even though we pray, everything that we pray just may not go our way. Oh, it's going to be quiet in here today. Even though we pray, Everything we pray just may not go our way. This prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane is a classic disproof of a name it and claim it theology. It's disproof of a blab it and grab it doctrine. Prayer does not work like that. It's not for cash and prizes but rather for guidance and direction as to what the perfect will of God is. That's the summation of prayer after all's been said and done. I just want to do. I just want to perform. I just want to imbibe what the perfect will of God is. You can ask for whatever you want. But at the end, somebody ought to say, Lord, let your will be done. You can ask for the moon and the stars, but somebody ought to end by saying, Lord, let your will be done. You can ask for the man of your dreams or the job of your dreams, but somebody ought to be able to say, Lord, let your will be done. That's the summation of prayer. Last week we talked about prayer and its construction and how to pray. At the end of all things, God's perfect will is to be done even when his will is not your want. Even when his will is not your way. Now, now, I already know this is not going to be a shouting sermon because this is a sermon on maturity. Say amen when you can. Uh, we got to mature to another place. To even though I pray for it, I don't get it. I don't stop praying. I just know that what I asked for wasn't for me. And thank God that God has not given me some of the stuff that I asked for. Because I didn't have enough common sense then to know I shouldn't have been asking for it. I wasn't ready. And somebody needs to shout hallelujah that God didn't give me everything that I asked for. Let me give you a sermonic disclaimer on what may be a quiet day. This lesson may not make you want to shout, but it'll help you see your way out. We might not shout, but if we apply this text, we will be saved. This may not want to make us stand up on this day, but if you listen closely, you'll be able to stand on that last day. Matthew 26, verse number 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means a multiplicity of things, most popularity. It means an oil press. Jesus, in this climatic and culminating phase of his journey, finds himself in the perfect place, especially as it pertains to its symbolism right now in his life. And this was the place as to where our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would be pressed within the vice of humanistic reality and reason. And here, Jesus will be pressed by feelings of stress on every side. Pressed by feelings of heartache on every side. 
pressed by feelings of agony, despair, and abandonment on every side. And just like with grapes and or with olives, the more that they are pressed and squeezed, something new is produced out of something that already was. When grapes and or olives are squeezed and pressed, juice is formed thus making something new out of what already was. But I submit to you that here in Gethsemane, here in the oil press, Jesus then and even us now, there's something being produced in us as we face the various vicissitudes of life. We all have stress that presses and squeezes us on every side. We all face despair and loneliness and humiliation and embarrassment that presses and squeezes us from every side. And check this out. God the Father allows it. Because through this pressing and squeezing process, God is forming something new out of us that is being formed through life-squeezing process, and the end result is submission. Through all that he has been through on earth, Christ, through Gethsemane, further learned submission. And through all that we experience in this life, its toils and its snares, the end result of our lives and our struggles ought to be that, yes, I went through it, but from it, I learned how to be submissive. Learn how to be dependent. I learned how to be reliant on God Almighty. Just in case you missed it, struggles and suffering breed submission. Going through what I go through makes me want to submit to him. And when I'm in full submission, I see how dependent I really am. Even Hebrew writer had to illuminate this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 8, when talking about Jesus. It says, son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Though Gethsemane was the current position of Jesus the Christ, if you've lived long enough, some of us find ourselves from time to time positioned in our own personal Gethsemane, in our own place of great suffering, in our own place of great hurting and pain and betrayal. Ever had somebody betray you? Ever had somebody stab you in the back? Ever had somebody put the knife in your back then decide to twist and make it worse? Ever had somebody stab you in the back then look at you in the face and say, what's wrong with you? Anybody got some haters in here? Anybody know something about weapons formed against you? That the enemy thought would prosper? You've lived long enough. You have your own Gethsemane. You'll go through some hurt and some pain and some suffering and some bad times and even some crying hours. I didn't come today to give you a cotton candy gospel. I'm sorry. If that's what you want, come back next time. I come to give you the real deal from the garden of Gethsemane. And what makes us think that we shouldn't have to suffer if Jesus had to suffer? What makes you think you should have to watch your back and Jesus had to watch his back? What makes you think you shouldn't be talked about and Jesus was talked about? And even after all that's happened, even he said, Lord, let your will be done. And another praise said, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Some of us have our own personal Gethsemane. But you need to leave here knowing that regardless of when and how often you find yourself in Gethsemane, that you're never there alone. Because God is right there with you, and he hears you, and he is answering. 
But check this out. Sometimes God's answer does not meet your approval. I wish I had some real folk in here. I wish I had somebody who's asked for something and didn't get it. I wish I knew somebody who was still expecting something and questioning God, saying, Lord, why haven't you done it yet? You know my health needs to be better, Lord. Why haven't you made me healthy? You know my marriage needs to be better, Lord. Why haven't you improved my marriage? Lord, you know my children act up. Why haven't you improved on that discipline? Lord, how long is it going to take? I've been waiting and crying and praying. Can I tell you something? This ain't in my notes, and don't try to look at me funny. Sometimes you get frustrated with God. I say, I know y'all too perfect for that. I know, I know, I know. How dare the preacher say that? He both talk about grace, mercy, and love. Sometimes you get frustrated with God. Because he don't move on your time. Or he gives you something that you did not expect. His answer don't always meet your approval. But have you ever thought that sometimes, though you want it, it's not his will? Sometimes his will is for some to be sick. Sometimes his will is for you not to have all the money in the world. Sometimes his will is for you to struggle in your marriage. But, but, but that's not what I want. God never said he'll meet your wants. But he always said he'll meet your needs. And guess what? All of us need to struggle. We won't appreciate salvation if we can't appreciate the struggle. You need to have something go through your life. And guess what? We might not have the same things going on, but we're all going to have a thing going on. That's the will of God. Hello, somebody. Okay, okay. I don't like that. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Sometimes God's answer doesn't meet your approval. And when God's answer for your life does not meet your approval, sometimes it's for the reasons of your ascension. Meaning what? I'm trying to save you. And I hate to show you that I'm going to save you through your struggle. I may not come when you want me, but I'm always come right on time. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Jesus is saying, Lord, take this cup away from me. I'm about to die. Rescue me. If there's any other way for this to happen, it don't have to happen this way. But in the end, he said, no, this is, this is the will. This was the plan, man. Before you were born, this is how you were going to die. But what you don't know is I'm going to rescue you. This is going to be on the other side. I'm going to allow you to die, but thank God Almighty, I'm not going to leave you there. And that's powerful right now in somebody's spirit because it tells you that, yes, he's going to allow you to go through, but he's not going to abandon you, and he's not going to leave you there. But you got to go through to the other side. You want to rise, but you don't want to die. You want to be thankful, but you don't want to go through nothing. You can't be thankful unless you face the alternative. You're thankful to have some money in your pocket because you were broke. God had to allow you to be broke so you could be thankful. You're thankful that your marriage is still together because you've had some rough times. Say amen when you can. You can say, thank God that we're still together because Lord knows what happened back then could have tore us apart. I'm thankful my children are healthy because I had three miscarriages along the way. You want the sweet without the bitter. You want the praise without the pain. 
and he said to them, I, mean, I just got to get, I got a lot more. When he got to Gethsemane, he said to them, sit over there. I'm going to go over here and pray. Eleven men got to the garden because Judas was on his way to betray him. Of the eleven men, he told eight men, you sit over here. You three folk come with me. His inner circle. Peter, James, and John. It's the third time he took three people. First time was the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Second time was Jairus' daughter. When they laughed and said, don't even worry about coming. She's already dead. Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. Homeboys, Peter, James, and John, let's roll. Get up off the bed. You liveth again. The third time now is the garden of Gethsemane. He has his chosen few. Three men went with Jesus and with these three men. We learned three pivotal lessons. You got time for this? Number one, we learned there's nothing wrong with having an inner circle. Even Jesus had an inner circle. You need to find you somebody you're going to be accountable to. And hello, somebody, just because you're not in their inner circle, stop hating on the folk that are in their inner circle. Yeah, we all family. I know we all family. I love you too. But I'm accountable to these people. We have a deeper connection. There's nothing wrong with that. Folk, 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 folk in church sometimes act like folk in preschool. He wouldn't talk to me. He didn't hang with me. He always with her. He never with me. See, bro, flowers, they a click. Every time you with somebody, it's not a click. Even Jesus had an inner circle. Maybe if some folks stop being so nosy, they get an inner circle too. Say amen when you can. Let, let me say this. Don't you trust everybody. Don't you trust everybody. Don't you trust. Everybody can't hold your stuff. Now, I know somebody in trouble for that. That's all right. I ain't scared of you. But everybody can't be in your inner circle. Number two, the lesson you need to learn is that Judas didn't make this journey. Even though he was a disciple of God and served as a CFO of his public ministry. Everybody on your side and in your corner. Lesson number three. Everybody can't go everywhere with you. He left the eight, took the three, but after a while he said, y'all stay here. There's something I got to do by myself. No matter how many friends you got, there comes a time when you got to stand before God all by yourself. You can have all the comfort you want, but communication is you and God. He took Peter, verse number 37, and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to become sorrowful and troubled. Here's the strongest Greek compound for depression. It was with Peter, James, and John who comprises in a circle that he then decided to show them his inner emotions. Can I tell you something on my way to ending the lesson? There's nothing wrong with being emotional in this life. And there's nothing wrong with being emotional before God. Life has a tendency and a propensity to bring you to your knees and bring tears upon your physical countenance. Death has a propensity to bring you to your knees and bring tears to your physical stature. Mama has died. Grandmama has died. My husband has died. My wife has died. I thought I had a partner for life, but their life ended before mine. It'll bring you to your knees. Your children, if you ever been through something with your kids, they'll bring you to your knees. They'll do things you never thought that they would do. Marriage, though you told somebody one time you're having a have and the hold and the cherish and good times and bad times and prosperity and poverty and sickness and health, it'll bring you to your knees. 
when you learn that love is not all about life. Hello, somebody. Like is in good weather, love is in bad weather. And love is whether you want to or not. Some of us, George, treat marriage like a magazine subscription. When we don't like it no more, we want to cancel it. Preach flowers, I think I will. Marriage can bring you to your knees. Bring tears upon you. There's nothing wrong with being sorrowful. Nothing wrong with crying. Nothing wrong with being sad. Nothing wrong with being emotional. Nothing wrong with being troubled. But being troubled becomes troublesome when one begins to worry. And worrying is destructive because worrying is the carrying on of one's troubled nature. It's as Webster defines the tormenting of one's self with suffering and disturbing thoughts. I just can't get over what happened. I just can't let it go. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't breathe. I can't live. Anybody know something about worrying? <laughs> worrying brings forth a stressful reality, and that reality is I can't do this by myself. Notice it was as Jesus became sorrowful and troubled that he immediately reached out to his father. Concerning his father's will as it pertained to his situation. He recognized that this stress is quickly becoming worry, and I will relinquish my stress before it becomes my worry. I'm going to cast all my cares upon him. How many folk are no longer ashamed to say, I can't handle this? Therefore, it's prayer time. Now, I know, I know you're bougie. I know you don't want to seem like nothing's wrong with you. And I know you got to keep up appearances and images. I know you're a ministry leader. Can't nobody see your weaknesses. I know you're the preacher and you're the elders and the deacons and you don't want to seem valuable. But somebody needs to say, Lord, I can't handle this. It's prayer time. Now, now I hope y'all don't mind preacher man being vulnerable, but there's some things I can't handle. It's time for something. You ain't got to wait till you get here. That's why I said somebody in inner circle. Can't you just call somebody up and say, Sister Sparks, I can't handle this. It's time to pray. I can't handle my children. It's time to pray. I can't handle this financial situation. It's time to pray. I can't handle what's going on in my marriage right now. It's time to pray. My health has failed me again. I can't handle another negative diagnosis. It's time to pray. I can't handle getting old. Can't do what I used to do. It's time to pray. But see, see, we, we, we have gotten so, so, so self-reliant that we've stopped reaching out to the only one who can really help us. Now, now don't you take this the wrong way. Uh, my, my master's is in human behavior. I, I, I know the benefit of psychiatry and psychology, but see, some of us have let the psychologists suffice and supplant the Savior. Well, my psychologist believes that if I do these things, I'll be okay. But what about the will of God? Hello, somebody? You'll take the steps of man, but won't follow the steps of God. Nothing's wrong with talking to somebody and getting some advice. But that's only after I've consulted God. You can take every pill prescribed, and you ought to take medication if you're prescribed medication. 
But don't you ever, never let that want to talk to God. You know why I want to talk to God, Fenwich? Because there's nothing I'm going to say that he ain't heard before. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with caring or showing concern for a situation. But concern becomes worry when concern sits around too long. Notice, though Jesus possessed all of these emotions, he never possessed fear. Someone said, well, wasn't he fearful when he said, take this cup away from me? He wasn't fearful. Fear is merely the emotion of the unknown. We fear what we don't know. And nothing has happened or is about to happen that Jesus didn't know about. He knew he was going to die. He knew by whose hands he was going to die. He knew the methodology by which he was to die. But while incarnated in human flesh, he also gained humanistic tendencies. Amongst them being emotions, apprehension, familial attachment, personal care, and concern. Notice verse number 38. Then he said unto the disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Notice, although Jesus shared his emotional state with his friends, that was only after he first proclaimed that he was going into prayer. Don't tell others about stuff that you first haven't told God about. Because though their advice may soothe you, it won't save you. If I'm going to seek counsel of anyone, it will be someone who has seen before what I'm seeing right now. The best drug counselors are those who were formerly drug addicts because they've seen what the addict is now seeing. They've been there before. You can't share from places that you first haven't dared to go. So why do you tell your single friends about your marriage? <laughs> Some things are oxymoronic. If I'm going to talk to anybody, I'm going to talk to somebody who's been where I'm going. It's oxymoronic to talk to a single marriage counselor. It's oxymoronic to go to a family counselor with no family. It's oxymoronic to talk to a preacher who hasn't sinned. Hello, somebody. I can't talk about what I don't know. Girl, I heard about Brother Flowers back in the day. You better be happy I had a back in the day. That's how I can talk to you. When it comes to my pain and my problems, my trials, my suffering, and my tribulation, I don't want theory. I want facts and experiential training. That's why I take my problems to God because ain't nothing I can tell him that he ain't heard before. There's nothing I can reveal to him that he hasn't seen before. My problems are not new to God. My embarrassments are not new to God. My pain is not past his understanding. If I got lust issues, hello somebody, apple bottom jeans, 
Hello, somebody. Low-cut blouses. Hello, somebody. Short skirts. Hello, somebody. If you feel guilty, change it. Hello, somebody. Six packs and braids and baby hair. Hello, somebody. If I got lust issues, I can talk to God about it. If I got a lying tongue, I can talk to God about it. If I got homosexual thoughts and tendencies, I can talk to God about it. And before some of y'all go rolling your eyes, there are more than you think up in here, up in here. If statistics say that 48% of folk have had a homosexual experience in their lifetime, that means I'm talking to somebody. And honey, don't you feel embarrassed about it. You need to talk to the Lord. Well, I'm homosexual. I feel out of place. You shouldn't. We love you. But there's a struggle going on right now in yourself. And whatever that struggle is, you can talk to God about it. God can change your life around. In the words of Dr. Robert Burt, some would say, well, I was born like this. That's why God said, be born again. I got, I got, I got suicidal thoughts, thought of killing myself. Some of us have been there where we had the weapon of destruction in our hands. I can talk to God about that. He knows. Addicted to crack cocaine. Hello, somebody. Heroin, methamphetamine. I'm so glad that this church serves as a haven to those who were once addicted. You can talk to God about it. Got financial problems, health issues, you're scared, you're lonely, you're depressed. I can talk to God all about it. And he's not going to act like some of y'all. He's not going to look surprised. I'm going to finish this sermon, y'all. Say, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to do one prayer. I'm going to get through this now. I, Jesus says, my soul, I'm going to finish, my soul. Is overwhelmed. It's a serious state of sadness. With sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going on a little further, Luke says, a stone's throw away. Going on a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. What did he pray, Jeremy? My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. 22 words, which could have been completed in less than 30 seconds. He being faced with death, Decided not to pray a prayer of breadth, but rather of depth. After extrapolating the construction of prayer last week in Matthew 6, here Jesus brings us to the summation of prayer in Matthew 26. And the summation of prayer is, Lord, your will be done. Because after all has been said and done, after eloquence has been extended, the mature Christian simply prays that above all else, Lord, let your will be done. Yes, we may petition our desires and explain our wants, but we must mature to the point to where even our wants submit to his will. This is what I want, Lord, but I put it on hold for your glory. This is what I really want, Lord, but I'll cut back for your glory. Lord, this is what you want, but I'll abandon it for your glory. Because even though we are more invested in our own wants, sometimes if we knew how our wants fit into his will, 
we would no longer want what we want. And we wouldn't want what he doesn't will for our lives. Because even though our wants may satisfy our temporal needs, his will satisfies our eternal salvation. And if we were just to see down the hallways of futuricity, we would find that our wants and his will if laid side by side, that his will would really surpass all of our desires. And all of the best blessings, church, is found in his will. Can I tell you something else? Also be careful enforcing your wants. Because sometimes enforcing your wants, he will circumvent his will to give you what you want. And he will give you so much of what you want as to where he'll have you begging for his will. Lord, I want in any husband. Yeah, Lord, I want any husband. I want in any job. Just give me something, anything. Lord, I wanted any attention. That's why I walk around half naked. Hello, somebody. Let me drop this off since somebody mad at me. All attention ain't good attention. Lord, I want any way to make money. Just give it to me. But now that you've been through the downfallers of your wants. Your prayer life has changed now. Now it's, Lord, I want the job that you have laid out for me. Lord, I want the man or woman that you have laid out for me. Lord, I want to make money, but I want to make it your way. I've tried to do it my way, and I see where that's got me. Two divorces later. It's tough preaching in here, but it's going to be all right. My father, he started out with talking to God. He didn't have to talk about excellencies and pretense. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Christ, while serving as deity, is speaking from carnality, and even in his questioning, he puts conflict between flesh and spirit. He also puts two qualities of God in conflict with each other. The first quality is, I, the Lord, do not change. The second quality is, with God, all things are possible. Somebody missed your shout. Even the changing of his will because God is the writer of his will. Notice, though he knew death was a formality, he still inquired as of its possibility. He seemed to be in the grieving stage of denial due to the fact that even before his birth, his death was already prescribed. But notice, as we land the plane, this was not a statement of disrespect. Brother, Christ is asking if it's possible if the world can be redeemed any other way than by this extremity of sorrow, then let that be done. But the way for man to be saved, unfortunately, had already been sealed. Somebody had to die. John 12 says, Verily, verily, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Frank Braden to tell you out in the garden, something has to give way for something else to be produced. Someone had to die for the many, and it had to be somebody, a lamb that was sinless. Oh, if I had time to read Isaiah 53, but I'll just give you the highlights. As a lamb before its shearing, he opened not his mouth. 
says, may this cup be taken from me. But then he says, not my will, but thine be done. When we talk about the cup, it talks about one's lot or experience in life, whether it be joyous or adverse. Jesus knew all too well the cup he would eventually drink. In Matthew 20, 22, when the mother of Zebedee's boys came to him and said, look here, my sons were with you on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Moses and Elijah. You must like them. Tell you what, put one at your left side, one on your right side. And Jesus told their mama, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? This cup culminates in his death, but it's filled with the ingredients of pain, betrayal, lies, denial, dejection, loneliness, humiliation, and jealousy. This cup was the entire reason Jesus sat at the table. The entire reason he came into this life, the entire reason he allowed himself to be arrested and stripped and beaten by unworthy men when he could have called 12 legions of angels to his aid. This cup was the certification of his cause, which was to seek and save that which was lost. And his death and subsequent resurrection had to occur in order to justify us to the Father. I'm so glad that when Jesus talked about the cup, said, Lord, may this cup be taken away from me. But let your will versus my will be done. When you look at the wills in the Greek, his will, my will, your will, when he talks about Lord, that's my will, but let your will be done. The Greek that says, Lord, that's my wish. But regardless of your wish, let your command be done. There's nothing wrong with wishing, but it's a problem when you can't submit your wish to his command. We are obedient creatures unto God. Yes, we can have desires and things that we want. I got things I want. But how many of us get in the prayer off as much? people and say, Lord, that's what I want. But your wish, let that serve as my command. Why? Because you're the one who took the cup. And you took it! So I wouldn't have to face the death that I deserve to die. Show you one thing I've done, I promise. Show you one thing I've done, i show you one thing. It don't matter if you say, man, I'm going to do it anyway. Can I show you one thing and I'm done? It's amazing, looking at Roman crucifixion, that another way of Roman capital punishment, particularly to soldiers who broke the law, was that they would line up several Roman soldiers who were destined to die, who really deserved to die, and they would give the first soldier gauntlet full of hemlock or deadly poison. And they would tell him to drink of the cup. And the thought process was that they would each drink of the cup and pass it down. And they would all die. Unless the first soldier was one who believed in sacrifice. Because since he was going to die anyway, it would behoove him to save everybody else to drink the hemlock even down to its dregs. That's the drip drops, y'all. This way, when I pass it to you, you may have the cup, but you don't have the death. I'm so glad that though the Lord said, if it's possible, take this cup away from me, in prayer number two, he said, look here, if it's not possible, I'll drink it. I'm glad 
that he took the sacrifice. That he put his will in submission of God's will. He took that cup and drank every bit of gall, humiliation, despair, loneliness. And while I may have to hold the cup in life, I may have to go through trouble in life, trial in life, suffering in life, that death no longer has sting. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus drank everything in the cup. Then he decided to be stripped and beaten. Crown of thorns twisted on his head. Walked up the Via Dolorosa. Cyrene carried Loud as hands and feet have nails driven through them. He drank it. But he did it for me. And here's the blessing. He wasn't even the one who deserved to die. I lined up because I was guilty. But he lined up and said, I'll drink it for him. I'll take the hit. And it's because of that that no matter what I want in this little short I want the summation of my prayers to be, Lord, your will be done. Your wish for my life, whatever it is, that's my command, and I'll deal with it. This is my third closing. Every preacher has three closings. You, you got to take this with you. You got to take it with you. High school graduates, take it with you. If you can drink from the cup of prosperity, how dare you not drink from the cup of adversity. And if you live long enough, you're going to have more than one cup. If you can sit down and drink from one, you ought to be able to sit down and drink from another. Every cup of Kool-Aid ain't going to have sugar in it. Let's be standing and not singing. Let's be standing and not singing. I better go on and quit. Before I get a second wind, go on, stand, let's be standing and not singing. Someone here today who needs to give it up. You can't handle it by yourself. You can see the mess you've made by the stuff you tried to do by yourself. It's prayer time. It's time for someone to come to the Lord, someone to come down to the altar and get it right with God. Perhaps you are a child of God. You're praying every night for things to get better. And you're wondering why they're not getting better. Come talk to the Lord about it. Perhaps you're going through something that you never thought you'd go through. You're going through something that would bring you embarrassment and shame before the audience, but you know you can go to God about it. Come talk to the Lord, even now. If chance you're struggling to accept his will or understand his will, will you come to the Lord right now? Perhaps you're dealing with the will, but you just ain't happy in his will. Because you still want what you want. Will you come to Jesus even now? Perhaps you force your want to become his will, and now you're not happy with what you got even though you wanted it. Will you come to God even right now? Will you come get what you need for what you need it for? If perchance you are not a child of God, you're not a baptized believer. You've come here today. You're looking for a difference. You're looking for peace. You're looking for joy. You're looking for change. You're looking for transformation. You can have it in Christ Jesus. What must I do, Jeremy, to finally have peace in my life? You must first hear the word of God. You've heard me. I'm loud enough. You must believe that he is. That is a reward of those who diligently seek him. It's a pity of your sins, meaning what? I'll turn from where I am to where God wants me to be. You must confess that Jesus Christ the sweetest name that can ever roll off a mortal's tongue, and there's no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved. To baptize in water for the mission of your sins and live faithful until death. The solution to your problem, whoever you are, is closer than you think. It starts and ends with Jesus. So since you've already come to his house, why don't you come and facilitate a personal relationship with him that begins with prayer, that begins with baptism, Come now. If your mind is made up that you need to come, let your feet walk in accordance to your mind. Right now as we sing the song.